Welcome back to Hot Takes and Deep Dives. This is Jess. And guys, Jerry Manthe is a savvy, multifaceted woman and one of the most iconic people to ever come out of Survivor with a career on the show spanning 15 years. Way back in season two, the Australian Outback, she was dubbed, quote, the Black Widow or the OG villainess, which we're going to go, we're going to go deep on later (laughs) on. But you also had one of the greatest redemption arcs in the history of the show, returning for both all-stars and heroes versus villains. I have so been looking forward to this since we connected the other week. And what else is there to say? Hi, Jerry Manthe. Hi. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yeah, I think it's your excitement that has fueled my excitement just to like dish on all the things. You know, <laughs> right right before I hit record, uh, Jerry was just saying how much she also loves Gina Gershon. And Ugh. you were saying how much you, you loved her in a day. And I feel similarly toward you. You what? forever. Yeah. Girl, I have, <laughs> I have loved you forever. Yes. <laughs> No way. Come on. That's crazy. How have you how have you been? Like where are you living now? We'll we'll start macro and then we'll we'll get micro. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I live in Napa Valley now. I fled from LA it's five years ago now. And I live in the middle of a vineyard in a barn. It's like the coolest place I've ever lived, honestly. And every day I open up my windows and I just stand there and go, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I live here. Like I feel so lucky where I'm at. I do miss, you know, the hustle and bustle of LA and being able to order Thai food at three in the morning. But, you know, we have lots of good wine here. So I'm fine. (laughs) And are you a chef? Like, explain, like, what do you what do you do full time for work? I'm right now working as a private chef in San Francisco. It's just a crazy story how I got that job to begin with. But um, I've been chefing since 2004. When I, my first chef job was actually for Will and Jada Smith. Um, Whoa, yeah. wait, how did you get that job? Uh, I had a roommate at the time. I had just bought a new house and I was like, I'm, I'm going to get a roommate. I, something I never do. And she was the private chef for Will and Jada and she needed an assistant. And when they went to Aspen for Christmas, I got to go to Aspen with them and cook for them. And it was amazing. Like I, that was my first shot at being a private chef. I was like, you can make money doing this. Like, this is crazy. But I, at that point I hadn't even gone to culinary school and they were calling me a chef. So I, I was like, I don't really feel comfortable with that label until I've Mm -hmm. properly studied. So I put myself through culinary school and it's always been something that I do along with all the other things that i do I do a lot of things <laughs> well, tell, tell me what else do you do I mean we're gonna spend a lot of time on Survivor but like up top like like what else do what do you tell me what else, what else do you do oh my gosh um well during this pandemic I taught myself how to lay brick and flagstone and concrete pavers and I redesigned my whole outdoor patio here like on my lunch breaks between lunch and dinner service but I was also a wine tour guide for about two years. And I, that was one of my favorite jobs ever. Like every day I got recognized people are, I'm driving the bus, taking people to all these different wineries and people are like, Oh my gosh, wait, I know where I know you from. You're Jerry from survivor. And I'm, it was 
it either went one of two ways. Like the rest of the day, I was like, okay, you guys, we're here to talk about wine. Uh-huh. <laughs> Are they just like pumping you with survivor questions while you're supposed to be teaching them about wine? All day long. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was the rare occasion when people wouldn't recognize me. And then I would have a fun time with that too, because it's like my little secret. But then there were wineries that I would take them to where the people that work there would love to out me. Oh <laughs> no, so they'd be like, you know who your tour guide is today, don't you? And they're like, no, it's, like, it's Jerry from Survivor. They're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, okay, hypothetically, <laughs> if I was in wine country and you showed up, to, I mean, I would like drop the fuck dead. As would many of my friends. That would be utterly absurd. If I didn't know that that's what you were doing, that would be nuts. Yeah, it was It was a fun job every day. I never knew what I was going to get into. And it was always a different group of people. Um, but And I learned so much about the wine business. And I know more about wine than I ever could have possibly imagined I would know. Um, and plus, I'm immersed in it every day. Like the vineyard workers are outside my window pruning vines and you know I'm like oh that's what's happening today okay (laughs) you know realistically Survivor has been on and off part of your life for I guess at this point over 15 years how do you 20 20 years 20 years crazy (laughs) how has it impacted your personal life aside from getting recognized while you're at work but how has it impacted your personal (laughs) life and also like how do you deal with the fact that you decided to get on this ride 20 years ago and you're a little bit still on it you know it's there's good and bad about it because I, I was an actress before I went on Survivor and that's still my favorite job when i randomly get those um yeah you were jerry the actress from la when we were introduced to you yeah yeah exactly and you know i was just like struggling like everyone else at the time and i'd gotten some pretty decent roles at that point but in a lot of ways survivor actually knocked me off the path that i was on as an actress um but it gave me so many crazy opportunities like i was flying to new york I don't know, a couple times a month. It was so different back then. They treated us to first class everything. Like I got picked up in limos. I was doing all the talk shows. I was on Letterman, Craig Kilborn, like all these opportunities uh, that I thought would help launch my acting career mm-hmm. and just didn't. Um, and a lot of that was because people didn't understand reality TV yet. And they literally believed what they saw on that show in season two. And there were people in L.A. who were just like, I will never work with Jerry Manthe. She is a bitch. You're so right. And it's so interesting you bring up going on the talk shows. I distinctly re- I was a huge Letterman fan and a huge like late night talk show fan in general. And at that time, I don't know when it stopped, but certainly season one and season two Every, the night after every cast off was sent home, that person would be on Letterman for like, you'd be on for like five minutes. And, and also, okay, were you on the Rosie O'Donnell show? I was. And she hated me. <laughs> Wait, tell me about this experience. Please <laughs> don't leave anything out. This I want to hear about. Well, I do want to touch on Letterman because honestly, it was my dream to be on David Letterman's show since I was in college. And I remember sitting with my sorority at the time going, someday I'm going to be on David Letterman's show. And everybody was like, oh, shut up, Jerry. And when I got there, 
I was really disappointed because the producers, I remember came down in the green room and they were like, look, here's what we're going to talk about. Don't try to be funnier than Dave. Don't go off topic. Don't add anything to the conversation. He's going to ask you questions. Here's the questions. And I'm like, oh, this is not what I expected. And then he wouldn't let us sit in the chair. And so I was one of my regrets, honestly, is that I didn't go off script and tell him how much I was excited to be there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he he ended up really liking me. He was like, oh, this Jerry person, she's really nice, you know, but I was I wanted to get in that chair so wait, bad. Wait, and wait, I, I'm re- trying to remember they had you. Where where were you? Phys- I'm remembering like the the survivor people were. Were you like off site? Like, where were you guys? The back door the stage like he's on stage and there was a door that you would go backstage through and he made us stand like almost in the dark back there like he was so mad that he was required to have us on his show and I was just I was so upset by that because I I, my whole life I dreamed of being on his show and I kept thinking I'm gonna come back here someday but yeah yeah, no it totally makes sense what you're saying I, it never occurred to me that he was required, but of course they were both on CBS. Yeah, he was very bitter about it. You know, that's kind of his thing, though. You know, he, he yeah. makes his own rules, and I still love him to death. And I would, oh man, if I could get on his show now. But... And what about Rosie? So Rosie hated me. She was on her show like every night or every day because it was daytime, just bitching and moaning about how much she hated me and. Right before I was on her show, she threw a big launch party for her magazine in New York, and I got invited to the launch party. Oh and so <laughs> I was there. Fucking iconic. That's amazing. Yeah. I got, back then, we got invited to everything, like every red carpet event. The paparazzi used to know my name. They'd scream at me. Like, it was so much fun. Um, but I saw Rosie at this party, and I went up to her, and I was like, hey. <laughs> and she was you know, fairly nice to me at that point. But um, yeah, I went on her show and she was just like really brutal with me. And she loved Colby. Oh, she gave him a Harley Davidson. Like it was a big deal. She was all about Colby. And if you go back and watch the show now, like a lot of people, the younger generation that's just now watching season Mm -hmm, two, mm -hmm. they're like, I don't understand. Like why was Jerry villainized? She didn't even do anything. In fact, Colby was kind of an asshole to her. So I think over the years, people have come to realize that I didn't didn't do anything to be villainized, but it also made me memorable. So again, double-edged sword all the way down. Well, well, tell me if this resonates with you. I think because in going back to, you know, because I knew I was going to be chatting with you, I pretty much like rewatched your entire season to like really (laughs) like get in the zone. Which season? Season two. Season two. Okay. I watched... Australian Outback live yeah it was like the 2000 was when it was on. yeah and back then you had to watch it when it was on TV or you would miss it like there was no other way to watch it you tell me while you think you were villainized but I think it's because so much of your storyline focused on the love story between you and Colby yet they were only showing it from your perspective exactly Oh, yeah. Like the conversations Colby and I had that no one ever got to see. Like, obviously, he was flirting with me or I wouldn't have just kept throwing myself out there like that. Like, come on. Right. Yeah. 
I, I have my issues with Colby. We've we've moved on from it to some degree, but you know, if you go back and watch season, if I can't watch it, like I, I'll get PTSD. I just, like, did you guys? So did you guys ever? I mean, I'm assuming you guys never like hooked up or dated in real life. Um. Okay. <laughs> It took a very long time for us to get to that point. It was after Heroes and Villains, like um, when we were in New York, we went to a strip club together and we we had a lot of fun together that particular evening. Um, it was kind of our uh, water under the bridge moment. But up until that point, no, like he he's very anti-survivor anything like he won't go to any reality events like he he's tried really hard to distance himself from that and personally i think it's because he has to live with the fact that he chose to go to the end with tina instead Mm -hmm. of keith because if he had gone with keith in season two he would have won nobody liked keith like it was a it would have been unanimous and so he has to live with that and i think that still haunts him to this day but it's just you know we got we were older the heroes and villains like I knew he was still playing me but I also knew I had the upper hand so it was kind of fun in so that wait, situation Jerry back to the two of you at the strip club in New York <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying it was like 15 years of like sexual tension <laughs> that like it's like you finally hooked up with your high school like crush yeah yeah we had a really good time that night he bought me a lap dance <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> we laughed. We joked. We went out to dinner. I, it was a lot of fun. And then the next night, I think there was some other event we were all at. And he took off with Parvati. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, he's one of those guys. Like, you know, enjoy the moment while, you, while it's there. Because it's probably not going to be there the next day. It was one night. That's it. And then it was one and done. <laughs> Are you and in that's touch fine. with him now? No, no. Like I said, he has completely disappeared off the survivor radar. And I think he's actually married now. And I heard he's hosting some adventure show or something in Alaska. Oh, wow. All right. Let's go all the way back. You know, how did you apply initially for the show? Like, did you hear (sighs) like an ad for it on the radio? Like, did you watch season one? I actually applied for season one. So at that time I was in LA, I was bartending at this really cool club in Santa Monica, Santa Monica called the circle bar. Mm -hmm. And I was on my way to work and I was literally like at the point where I'm like, I'm about ready to wring some necks of some drunks. I was over it. I'd been bartending for like 12 years in LA and I was just like done. And on the way to work, I heard this ad like 16 people on an Island last one left gets a million dollars. I'm like, Oh, I could easily win that. And nobody knew what it was yet. Uh, because as far as like battling the elements of nature and being outdoor, I'm a very outdoorsy person. And I'd been going to Burning Man already for several years. And I was very familiar with very harsh environments and how to build a shelter and all that stuff. And I just knew that if I could get on it, I would win. Uh, but nobody knew the social aspect or how it worked yet. It was literally like this idea of CBS was throwing out to save Les Moonves' job because he's about ready to lose his job. Oh, my God. And he took a chance on Survivor, and it turned out to be this crazy phenomenon. Uh, So I did not get picked for season one. And because of that, in typical actress fashion, I was like, screw your stupid show. I'm not even going to watch that. 
dumbasses. And then I remember how big it got. And I watched the last episode, like the final tribal council. And I was like, wow, this is, this is nuts. And so as soon as I heard season two was getting cast, in fact, I didn't even send in anything. They reached out to me. They remembered you. Yeah. And it turned out there was a girl I'd written a play in 1998 and produced it, directed it um, and cast it, the whole thing. And there was a girl that I cast in that play who is now on the um, casting staff for Survivor 2. Oh, wow. And then one of the other women who was Lynn Spillman, who had cast me previously on a dating show on MTV. Blind date. <laughs> uh, no, that was one I did later. But this oh, was okay. called singled out oh, on so mtv jenny mccarthy's show yes yes exactly you i was like singled out i was yeah i was in the chair oh, i got wow. to pick the guy and mtv actually ended up offering me some work after that like they loved me like it I was a, a whole nother story but so these people i knew were casting survivor and they lynn called me and she was like Oh my God, Jerry, that tape you sent us for season one sucked so bad. She's like, I fought for you so hard. I know you. You're great for this show. Just get me another damn tape. I give you two weeks to get it to me. And I was like, oh my God. And so I I borrowed a friend's video camera. I like had him video me climbing rocks and like hiking and followed mm-hmm. me to the circle bar where I was bartending and I was breaking bags of ice and shaking up martinis. And I learned how to do um, voiceovers on video. This is before any kind of software was out there that made it easy to do this. Like I had so many friends I had to ask for favors mm-hmm. and I put together this kick-ass tape and literally got it there within minutes of the post office closing. Cause I had to mail it by in a VHS form. <laughs> well, Yeah. The brilliant thing to, because I remember season one aired over the summer and it was maybe like halfway through that people started to catch on kind of like in an American Idol type way. It's like people don't catch on like first episode. It takes the momentum of a show like really helps, helps it. And that finale, I don't know quite how many people watched it, but I think with Richard Hatch's win, I don't know what the right word is like galvanized, like the, at least in America, everybody was glued in the same way they were to watching Kelly Clarkson win that first American Idol. Yeah, it was a TV phenomenon and re- reality TV didn't really exist yet, except for the real world on MTV, which I was totally addicted to as well. I want to talk to you about that, too. Yeah, yeah, I, I loved the real world, but there was nothing else like it on TV. So at first people, I think, especially people in the industry, they were like, Oh, reality TV, like screw that. It's bullshit. Nobody's getting paid. There's no story lines there. You know, it was people in LA were very anti-reality and which is also, I think what kind of hurt me from doing it in season two with my acting career. Yeah. There was just such a negative vibe towards reality TV, but season two, they were so brilliant. I mean, our our first episode was right after the Super Bowl. Um, Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Um, we had we still have the highest um, rated views. Uh, Thirty six million people watched season two, and we beat Friends 
in their final season mm-hmm. in the ratings. And I can tell you later, I bumped into the cast of Friends at the People's Choice Awards and they were not nice. <laughs> <laughs> they hated us so bad. I That's was like, so funny. Come on, you guys, like, give us some props for God's sakes. Like, and I, I loved Courtney Cox. I always felt like I should have had her career. <laughs> I mean, you kind of look like Courtney Cox. Like you have, you have a Courtney Cox-ish vibe. Yeah. And especially when uh, in the 80s, when I had the bi-level uh, feathered hair with like the party in the back, you know, total mullet going on. And when she got pulled up on stage at that Bruce Springsteen concert, yeah, I looked exactly like her back then. Yeah. Was your season the most applied for season like did like 50 million people apply for the outback yeah it was something really insane that's why I felt so lucky to I mean I had some inside people who were fighting for me which really helped but it it was also a show that was kind of made for someone like me and I just embraced it you know and it I guess the part about the whole experience that makes me a little sad is that my my experience that I had in the outback is so different than what you saw on the show. Like I, I was definitely a leader in a lot of ways because those, most of those people don't even go camping, you know, Mm -hmm. and Kel did have beef jerky. I still to this day have to tell that silly story (laughs) and explain that. Yes, he did. And he is still talking about it. Of course, that's the only way anyone would remember him anyway. I mean, hiding, (laughs) hiding food was like the cardinal sin. Oh, well, if you're going to do that, at least share, (laughs) like be smart about it. He was, uh, yeah. Going back to the, the reputation, you know, like the black widow or like the, the real, like the villainess, which I love that word, by the way. (laughs) I I love that word. Yeah. Um, Black widow. I still don't know where that came from. I still can't figure that out. I feel like that was given to me on the all-stars and it had originally been given to Parvati because she ate the men mm-hmm. in her season. Like, I don't feel like there was any moment in Australia where I was ever called that. But Jeff wanted to deem me the original Black Widow. And I was like, oh, all right, I guess I'll take it. I think since I moved up here to Napa, I've had a very quiet, ref- quiet, reflective time. There was a period where I would wake up in the middle of the night and go, <gasps> like, why did I do that? Like, there was at some point... Um, what was it the Today Show that we were on every morning? I think they asked me to be the person who interviewed people as they got voted off on the Today Show. Mm-hmm. And what an opportunity that would have been. You know, I could have ended up on the Today Show for all the future survivors that got voted off. But I had PTSD so bad and I didn't want to talk to any of those people because they had said so many horrible things about me. And I was just like, heck, turned down the job. You know, I regret oh, that. Wow. Um, yeah, there's been some moments, some missed opportunities just because I was I was seriously uh, affected by the amount of hate that I felt from people. Like I, it was crazy. I was in LA for, at that point, I'd been there five years, busting my ass as an actress, going to all of the auditions and driving and doing all the stuff. And I remember my cousins came to visit me once and we were driving down the road and I stopped looking down the street, looking at traffic, waiting to pull out. And I pull out into traffic and this guy in this Porsche 
comes flying up on my ass and he gets next to me and he's like, you know, roll your window down, which is funny to even do this, but he's <laughs> like, roll your window down. And I'm like, roll it down. He's like, that's why everybody thinks you're a fucking bitch. And my, I'm just like, oh my God, I'm getting recognized in my car and being called names. Like, oh, what's and My cousins were like, oh my God. You know, they were freaking out. Like, they were afraid for me, but also they, they thought it was kind of cool that people recognized me. But I was like, oh my gosh, this is what my life has turned into. So how did and, you deal with that? Like, did you go to therapy? Like, how did, how did you? <laughs> I should have gone to therapy. It's, you know, it's not too late. It's not too late. <laughs> <laughs> um, I never went to therapy. I just kind of figured out how to deal with it the best I could and, you know, the opportunities that came after I got through my PTSD a little bit. Um, I feel like I still have some, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I just kept pushing forward. I've never been the kind of person. And I don't think back then either therapy was as cool as it is now. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of residual stuff from that. And, you know, I, I tell people the story, like survivor airs on the East coast at six o'clock Pacific time. And so people on the East Coast would see the episode and there would be this wave of hate just coming across the United States in my direction. And I would every week I would go to the grocery store. I would get at least two bottles of wine mm-hmm. and I would look over and you know there was really no Internet at the time either. Which- Jerry, I was literally just going to say you must feel a huge sigh of relief that at least there was no social media. There was no Twitter. Yeah, no, that, that would was, have been really bad. That would have been horrifying. No, instead, there were tabloids. And so I'd be at the grocery store, getting the wine, and I'd look over. And like, my face is on every single tabloid on the shelf. And I would just start grabbing them, put them with my wine. I'm like, okay, I'm going to face this the best way I can. I'd go to my friend's house, we'd sit down, start drinking, and I would read all the tabloid stuff. And there were like ex-boyfriends coming out of the woodwork, telling stories about me. And some of them were partially true, but <laughs> it's a whole nother thing. <laughs> I was like, well, at least he got that right. Okay. And I mean, I got blamed for breaking up Jeff Probst's marriage. Like there was just like craziness happening. So this wave of hate. And then I would watch the episode and I would just sit there and go, oh, what are they doing to me? It was episode two that really defined where they were going with all the footage in my character. Like mm-hmm. I, episode two, that was the, the beef jerky and the Keith can't make rice, like mm-hmm. all in one episode. And it just went downhill from there. <laughs> you know, on the show, you say that you had never met a more likable person than Elizabeth Hasselbeck. And you voted her off because you saw her as a threat. Do you still stand by that? And no. Wh- okay. I don't even remember. Sa- Did I say that? Yeah, I wrote it down. <laughs> I mean, I rewatched the whole series. Well, you know, she's she was very sweet and likable. And her and Kentucky Joe had that really cute little thing going on. And I had no idea what she was saying behind my back, obviously. But 
she was kind of a wuss. I mean, she was always whining, like, my hair's falling out, you know? And I was just like, suck it up, chick. Like, well, this is not a spa day here. <laughs> um, I know that I might get some hate mail for this, but I will say the fact that she was on The View to me was um, really frustrating because she never left her parents' house. She never lived on her own. She never had to pay any of her own bills until she got married. And then she, you know, went off with him. And so nobody who's not been in the world struggling to survive and pay their own bills and make their own way, make things happen on their own. There's no point of view that they could possibly have that I'm going to respect. And so that was my biggest thing with her. And she was just regurgitating clearly what her parents had yes. taught her. And yeah, I tried to get on that show. But they were just like, no. <laughs> you, you tried to aud audition for The View? Yeah, yeah. And I think there were just too many other people who were like-minded. They needed someone yeah. on the opposite spectrum. And boy, did they find it in her. Like, I just, I couldn't watch that show. It was painful. Like, like being out there with her, is it now, or at least what, you know, she, when she was at the height of her fame as a, as a co-host on The View, was it just wild to hear the, her political views? Well, we never talked politics yeah. on Survivor or religion or any of that yeah. very polarizing yeah. stuff. And it wasn't really the hot topic that it is now by any means. Yeah. Um, but I was not surprised at what she was saying or representing. And like I said, she was regurgitating what she was told by her parents. And quite honestly, I never watched the view because it was just too painful. Um, and it was another it, one of those, the M what I'm seeing right now, because we were just talking about Rosie O'Donnell, that infamous like split screen when Rosie quit. God, yeah, I forgot all about that. Oh, yeah, Rosie, like, went after her. I was like, go, Rosie, go. <laughs> I think that was the first time The View used a split screen, and that really pissed Rosie off. And that was why she walked off, because he, he, she saw the – she had big issues with the, the EP at that time of the show, and she thought it he was trying to turn it into a circus, which he was. Of course, but, yeah. And it worked. Yeah. <laughs> Um, where did, I yeah. know that you were born in Germany, right? Yes. And yes, you were, you were raised there as well? Um, yeah, off and on. I'd say my formative years definitely were in Germany. And then we, we moved back and forth to Alabama and Germany, like back and forth. It was, talk, talk about culture shock. Oh my gosh. I, I'm very close to my parents who are still together and still very much in love. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And where are your parents now? <laughs> They, my dad retired from the military and they live in Alabama. Oh, wow. Damn. Right now they're in an RV driving cross country. They do it once a year. They get in their RV and do that whole thing. It's so cute. They're adorable. <laughs> I was wondering if your experience on Survivor, did it give you any coping mechanisms that you were able to apply during the pandemic? Really, I'm thinking when it was really bad in the early days of quarantine, just dealing with the isolation and, and all of that. Was that something you were thinking about at all? Um, wow, that's quite a question. You know, I, I feel like I'm one of the few fortunate people who I ended up getting this job as a private chef right when the quarantine hit. So I've been working full time this entire time. 
you know, the really the the major adjustments I've had to make is just that living here in an already very isolated place. Um, I'm actually very used to being by myself, so that wasn't a big deal. But I also love going to restaurants and you know sitting at a bar by myself and ordering a meal and having a cocktail and meeting new people. Survivor, I think, definitely taught me a lot of skills that I've used in my life. I mean, I I learned what I'm capable of. <laughs> I can deal with some pretty stressful, horrible situations. Um, every time someone says, I'm starving, I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I'm like, no, you're not. I was like, right now you can walk to your fridge and you can go make yourself something. Starving is when your insides are eating itself and you have nowhere to go for relief. And I swear to this day, every night I lay down in my bed, I bought myself the nicest, most expensive Tempur-Pedic and not a night goes by that I don't lay down in that bed and think to myself, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful I have this bed. Uh, There's just things I will never take for granted ever because of Survivor. Just comfort. Like I explain to people that being on Survivor is like um, being tortured, like Chinese water torture every single day of your entire existence, 24 hours a day. It is so awful and so uncomfortable and there is nowhere to go for comfort. There's you're always cold and you're wet and you're tired and you're hungry. And there's people constantly like, you know, talking about you every time you walk away, there's like the level of paranoia is so extreme. And, you know, I was very lucky that I got to play season two. There were no idols. There was no like twists and turns. It was just straight up, survival and figuring out how to make that work yeah I wanted to talk to you about the evolution of survivor as a game I mean it's a tv show but the you know it's being posed as a as a game um talk about the evolution just the different I mean you're talking about the idols but also like the different strategies that have evolved over time you know I guess like day one the, the the real strategy was Richard Hatch's of forming an alliance yeah That was my strategy 100% going in. But then when I played season 20, uh, I found out that there were already existing alliances before people got out there. And I, my strategy has always just been adapt, constantly change, adapt. Don't think that there's one set way to get to the end there. Every minute things are changing so drastically. And then with all, now all the, idols and like yeah people there's some season 40 blew my mind mm-hmm. honestly i could not believe the le- the level of gameplay going on like what do you think are like the top three strategies oh gosh the number one strategy is adapting i mean you have to constantly you know figure out which scenarios are going to work best in your favor and that changes so much that that itself is so exhausting And then, of course, find at least one person that you can almost completely trust as much as you can trust them in Survivor. That's also very hard. Um, And I guess now the other strategy is always look for an idol. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I hate that because it takes people away from camp. And that's where all the relationship stuff is missing now. And the the things that I think made us all friends in the end all of that is really truly missing because people are just constantly 
scheming and planning and you know uh, it's exhausting to watch and i know that we don't even get to see you know a quarter of what's going on like how many times have you watched an episode now where you're like wait was there a conversation that happened that i didn't hear like how did they end up voting that way and i absolutely hate 100,000 percent i hate all this talking at tribal council that was not allowed that was never allowed you went in there you had to be quiet and you had to let jeff do his thing and you know if you made eye contact with somebody you know that was it like now they're like getting up and walking around and like whispering in each other's ears i'm like no no i i hate that the elimination process I mean, spoiler alert, you were eliminated three times, <laughs> but, but um, oh, that last time, that last time was so yeah. close. When you film that, I mean, it's not, it, they're all confessionals that you're doing, but like the one where the elimination confessional, are you just happy that you're going home or are you like upset? Like, what is your emotional state? Disappointment, um, anger, resentment, all the bad stuff. Like you feel all of that. You feel betrayed, even if it's it wasn't a complete surprise. It's still so disappointing to be taken out of the game uh, every time. Like I, especially that last time, I was already spending my million dollars. <laughs> oh yeah. So okay, let's talk about the stakes here. The million dollars. Were you going to buy a house? I was going to make a movie. I was like, I'm going to produce something. I, I'm going to create my own work as an actress and. That was like my big thing. The last time I played, I was actually uh, was when the real estate market tanked and my house was upside down by like three hundred thousand dollars. And I was just like, I really needed the money more than I ever did before just to survive in my life. Um, So the disappointment was different, (laughs) but it was actually, I think, harder once it all hit me what happened because I was so close and I know that if I'd made it to the final three, I would have won against any any mm-hmm. any combination that I, I would have won because that jury was so pissed at Russell. They hated Parvati and no one respected Sandra because she kept quitting every time we had a challenge. Right. So but when I got over to the other side and the jury was just like, Rah, like telling me how they felt, it just hit me all of a sudden, like, oh, my God, if I had just gotten through this last tribal council, I would have won. Would you do it again? Um, I, you know, people ask me that all the time and I've, I've been like, yeah, sure. I'd do it again. But I think now I'd have to think about it a little bit because it hurts. You know, it's just, like I said, it's uncomfortable and yeah, what am I saying? Yeah, I'd probably do it again. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like giving birth apparently, which I've never done either. And I won't ever do that. They say you forget it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like you go through all this pain and then you forget about it and then you go back and do it again. And you're like, what have I done? Like, that's what I did the two times I played after the first time. I was like, oh, my God, I forgot how much this sucks. You just mentioned a bunch of people who from over the seasons are you close with? Like, who are your your friends or their little like survivor cliques? Yeah, and I, it's definitely changed because, you know, there is this looming legend season everybody's talking about so i'm always very aware that everyone's kind of still playing the game that's just the nature of the the game 
So I do question some people's motives in reaching out to me out of the blue, like, oh, Jerry, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, God, somebody so must wait, have gotten wait, a what, call. So what would the le- <laughs> what would the Legends season be? We don't know. It's just it's been a rumor out there on the Internet for a really long time. I guess they bring back memorable people. I don't but how, know. How would that be different from All Stars? I mean, it would be like the updated version, probably with a greater scope of people from all. There's now 40 seasons. Yeah. I think it would be a pretty epic season, but they'd have to up the the final money for sure. I think it needs to be five million. You want to see a good you want to see some good gameplay, throw some five million dollars out in front of everybody. That'd be out of control. Between all stars and heroes versus villains, it started your redemption arc. Kind of. I mean, the reason why I did the all stars was because I, I felt like I needed to redeem myself and like show people the softer gentler side of jerry and i learned while out there that that is not the time or the place to be the gentler softer more vulnerable person that i am that is not the appropriate place because i mean i almost quit there was the worst storm we've ever seen to this day the worst storm ever in survivor history i literally thought we were going to die that night it was the camera guy ran away there is no footage whatsoever of us huddled while lightning is striking you know feet away from us my hair was like wet and like floating there was electricity in the air the whole beach got washed out into the ocean it was the night that Rupert's horrible shelter got flooded I was gonna say yeah this is when you had to build and he it's like he built a thing that was built to built to collapse it collapsed, yeah, because he dug a hole in the ground like five feet deep. You were so pissed. <laughs> I was yeah, literally like, is anyone else concerned? And no one else spoke up. And I went, okay, here I go. I'm just going to go along for this ride. And sure enough, that storm hit. And I was just like, this is not worth a million dollars. Like, we are going to die tonight. Somebody is going to get seriously injured. And things were very different back then. Like, there was not a constant medical check-in. Like now they check you into medical previous to every challenge and then after every challenge, just to make sure you're doing okay to check on you. Like if you have some kind of infection, they give you antibiotics, they'll give you band-aids and ointments and stuff. Back then they were like, shake it off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, walk it off, Jerry. I was like, I literally had hypothermia. And I, I told the camera crew, I was like, you guys, I mean, everything, I was frozen, like my, just I could not get warm and I was shaking I was crying like people saw me cry for the first time I was like I have hyperthermia they're like just go sit in the sun you'll be fine and I'm like "Ah." this was so ridiculous but that season hurt in so many ways and um, it fractured some really tight relationships to this day like Um, like who were your close friends um, at the time, my closest pals weren't even on the All-Stars. Mitchell is still one of my favorites. But yeah, he did. He wasn't out there. I, I felt very alone in that season because there were a lot of people who were very tight. And like, you know, Ethan and Jenna, both Jennas had dated. Mm-hmm. So he had that background. And Tina still did not like me. Rupert was just freaking obnoxious. And... I felt very alone and I couldn't that first tribe I was on, there was nobody that I could bond with. And so when we merged and I ended up with Lex, 
that's when I was like, oh my God, finally somebody I love to pieces. Um, and we instantly, you know, bonded. And the fact that he had to vote me off or felt like he had to vote me off. We still talk about that. We're, we're in touch a lot. He lives pretty close to me. I just love him to pieces. And I stay in touch with Ethan, mm-hmm. even though Ethan talked a lot of shit about me on the All-Stars. Um, when I got booed at the finale and I walked off that stage, um, it was him and Jenna that came to my hotel room to make sure I was okay. But that season was, I don't think I'll ever be able to watch that one again. It was very painful. Jenna left because her mom was dying of cancer and yeah. she felt she felt inside she had to get out of there and thank God she did. She got there right. She got to spend one day with her mom before she passed away. Like it was just very intense. And I tell people all the time, if you have to choose between going to hell or going to Panama, you should definitely choose hell. <laughs> <laughs> who, do, who, do you th- <laughs> who do you think is the ultimate player of the game not necessarily who you like like the best or you like you like the way they played the game like who do you think is the ultimate objective player oh my gosh that's a lot of people to choose from there there's so many lists online and you're, i'm just gonna throw out a couple names and you tell me like you your feelings on these people and who maybe you would put ahead of these people boston rob poverty sandra tony these are names that come up a lot yeah um I think poverty is one of the best players I've never seen anybody work people the way she works people um I saw right through it you know the the sexy smiles and flirtations and all that stuff but man guys were just like falling over themselves like I was always in awe of her and that's why I wanted to get rid of her on the heroes and villains immediately. I was like, she's got to go. But then at the end, I'm like, I have to vote for her because, oh my God, I've been trying to get rid of her since day one and she's still here. I just, I think she is a great player. She is someone to be afraid of when you're playing with her. Um, Boston Rob. No, absolutely not. No. Why? He, He plays the same game every time. It's intimidation, manipulation, controlling. And it's finally, after all the seasons he's played, including one where he was literally set up to win, he was put into a game with all of his, the biggest Boston Rob fans in the universe. And they were all just so in awe of him. That's why he won that season. I, that whole season, I was doing a podcast at at the time, picking apart all the gameplay and Mm -hmm. I was just sickened I was like I don't even want to watch this but I have to because I'm doing this show and I think on the winter season it was just very for the first time thrown out in the open how controlling his like I when I played with him on heroes and villains if anybody got up to go to the bathroom like this happened to me one time I got up to go to the bathroom and he's like somebody needs to follow her she might go look for an idol I was like do you see the shovel in my hand? I'm going to go take a crap. So I'm pretty sure none of you wants to follow me, but feel free if you would like, if you're into that kind of thing. But, you know, you guys need to relax. Like, this is ridiculous. And so that last season he played, like, you got to see it. And the fact that he was playing with people who were really, really good at the game, who just let him think that he was in control and then voted him off. I was like, Amen. I mean, I was so happy that finally 
he was outed for this one way of playing the game that he that's the only way he knows how to play you said in your confessional at the end of heroes and villains that going back for the third time was the best decision that you ever made because you felt like you had redeemed yourself do you still feel that way yeah yeah absolutely I mean of course it would have been better if I won (laughs) but yeah I feel like I got to play the game more uh relaxed and more like myself of course I I as a person changed you know over that many years so it that season for me watching it made me very proud of the way I played the game of who I was as a person um, I felt like I was a strong player I I definitely made some big moves again I was always aware of what was going on and I found some cracks I was never in anybody's alliance like that's people don't realize that like Sandra still to this day I have to correct her because she's like you were in alliance with Russell and I was like, no, I wasn't. I was never in that alliance. They never asked me to be in that alliance. And Rob never asked me to be in his alliance. I was always right in the middle. And I liked it that way. Which way is going to work for me the best? And as soon as I saw Russell and Danielle get into that fight at that tribal council, mm-hmm. I went, oh, there's the crack I was looking for. <laughs> Going, Moving away for Survivor for a second, you mentioned earlier that you were a big fan of the real world. Um, yes. <laughs> tell me everything. I mean, like, what were your like formative seasons? Well, season one was epic. That will always be my favorite because it was groundbreaking and interesting and like, what? No idea what was what was going to happen with that whole franchise. And I, I don't know how many seasons that I actually watched, but I do remember Puck. So I ended up meeting Puck years later at, in uh, where was that? Park City, Utah mm-hmm. at some big huge celebrity event I think it was like at Sundance or something and oh my gosh we we hung out that whole night I swear what was he like oh he's so crazy and so funny like I laughed so hard I think I think actually we did mushrooms together (laughs) (laughs) this guy is a lunatic he's so out there but he was it's a fun kind of crazy, like, mm-hmm. you know, or you just like the whole night you just laugh and he's, he doesn't do anything that's going to hurt anybody. It's just good, just good, clean fun. <laughs> God, that was so long ago. Really the two tent poles of reality, mm-hmm. I, I guess really are the real world and then Survivor. But nowadays, like a lot of it is like docu-series like in the vein of like the housewives and all that do you watch bravo or no are you only competition oh no i am so addicted to below deck (laughs) like i below deck literally below deck all the different below decks there's the yacht there's the sailing there's the mediterranean i watch them all i am just fascinated it's also because I, I actually chefed on yachts for oh. a couple of seasons many moons ago. And that is one of the hardest jobs in the universe is to be a chef on a yacht because you are literally on call 24 hours a day and you're working in a tiny space. You've got to find food supplies in weird places on islands that have very little to nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes you're just floating in the middle of the ocean and you'll get someone who wants something specific that you're just like, ah, I can't really get that for you right now, <laughs> but you got to find some way to make them happy. It's a, it is a horrible, 
horrible, thankless job, honestly. <laughs> so watching that show, uh, let me just say it is so spot on to exactly what that industry is like. It is crazy. It is filled with people who all sleep together and, you know, party like, like you're, I don't know. They, they party like the world is ending and it's like their last chance to get drunk. <laughs> but, and I just, I love that show so much. And I have the biggest crush on Ben, the chef. Ben. Okay. <laughs> I love him. And I just recently contacted Kate. Chastain. Uh, yes. I contacted her on Instagram. You should have her on your show. Oh my God. I, I sent her a, a DM. I was like, Oh my gosh, Kate. Like, <laughs> I absolutely love you. And she sent me a message back. She's like, oh, my God, Jerry, I watched you all the time. I was like, two reality TV bitches. I was like, we need to do something together. Can you imagine me and Kate doing something together? I think she's be- free now. She she was host. So she had left Below Deck. And then she was hosting like a, a, a Bravo like after show thing. But she left that like in recent weeks. So she may be free for you. Oh my God. I just, I've got to find (laughs) something to do with Kate Chastain because I love her. Like I, she is kind of mean to people, but I also understand her because I've been there. Like when you're dealing with people who are lazy or, you know, not too smart, like, especially in a tight environment, like a yacht, like I have, I totally get why she gets so short with people. I'm like, ah, Oh, I just love that show so much. Yeah. Do you and I, I was watching The Housewives for Orange County at the beginning. You only watched OC? Um, I watched a little bit of Jersey. I think I watched a couple seasons of that. And I definitely got hooked in Beverly Hills for at least the first three seasons, I think. Yeah. Well, those are the important ones. And you know what's so funny? Like after season two, there was a group of people that contacted me and said, we just want to follow you around and film your life now. And I was like, no, absolutely not. Again, PTSD. I was like, no way, no how. And of course, now I'm just like, son of a bitch. I could have had my own show. <laughs> like, what was I thinking? So wait, a production company contacted you. They wanted to like film something that maybe could have they, gone. At that time, my life was so off the charts. Like I was invited to every red carpet event in LA. I was hanging out with A-list celebrities. Like I said, I would go to events and the paparazzi would just go nuts. They'd be like, Jerry, Jerry over here, over here, Jerry. I'm like, And I always said, oh my gosh, as long as the paparazzi knows my name, I'm big. And so I rode that wave, I think for, geez, I think for five years, I, I had this amazing life filled with all this excitement and the entertainment business, which was my dream. Like, that's why I moved to LA in 95 was for that scenario, except I imagined I would have all that fame from being an actress. I've been, I've been an actress since I was nine years old. Like that's who I am. And I was frustrated that no one really got to see that. And they knew me because of a reality show, but I was just trying to take all of it in and, you know, at the time I was like, no, I don't want a camera crew following me around in my house and everywhere. And like, I just, I had PTSD. Mm-hmm. I am available now for anyone out there that wants to follow me around Napa Valley. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, someone did contact me a couple years ago. They were thinking about doing, a, they were like pitching it. Like it's not a real housewives, 
but it's like the women of Napa Valley. Yeah, and that means like, that means it's housewives. I'm like, sign me up. And so I yeah. talked to them for months. I was like, this this is a that would be a really great show. I do understand why it would be hard to make happen because this is very this place is very small. It's the smallest place I've ever lived in my whole life. I live in a town population 300. Imagine that. Oh, wow. Napa County is about 100,000 people. And that's this entire valley. Um, and people here know everybody and they're, you know, they're, they try to stay kind of private. And the people who have tons of money are, are very clicky. Like it's, I don't know if it would work here just because people, I don't know if they'd want to like give up the juice. <laughs> Sounds like housewives to me. <laughs> I'm all for it. I mean, I'm not a housewife, but I, you know. But neither are they on the show. Ever hear of Bethany Frankel? <laughs> I, mean, I love Bethany. I did watch yeah. a couple seasons of that one. Too. Good. But very I, good. And you know, it's funny. I, I listened to a podcast of yours with uh, some reality TV uh, addict. He said, oh, yeah, I would love to see uh, the next housewife show somewhere like in wine country. And I, when I heard that, I was like, oh. Me too. Yes, that's that. I know what you're talking about. Yes, yes. I was talking to my friend B, who goes by the name Pet Shop Boy. Pet Shop Boys, Pe- yeah. Pet Shop Boy, and <laughs> his argument was to do it in wine country, and I said to do it in San Francisco because then you would get all the tech money. Yeah, and well, then they can go on the weekends to the wine country. It's like doing it in New York and the Hamptons. Yeah, boom, boom it, it problem like solved. That. But I just, uh, yeah. I think there's something there. And like I said, I'm available. I think it'd be fun. I would love to get involved in a fr- one of those franchises that, that goes on for a while and I can get a little bit closer to what I actually want to be doing. <laughs> I mean, so that actually begs the question, like, what do you, you know? So right now you're chefing. Like, what do you want to do with? <laughs> I don't want to say be dramatic the rest of your life, but like what? <laughs> what? <laughs> like what, what other? um my creative outlet is that what you're trying to get into? sure yeah yes. <laughs> so i am actually right now kind of polishing up a podcast idea that i have and it's based around my personal experiences and my stories which i seem to have a lot of them even though sometimes i i, I don't think of myself as this like extraordinary person with all these stories i think we all have stories i always tell people we're all fascinating humans it's just it takes a certain kind of person to have the bravery to be vulnerable with people and share. And that's what my podcast would be based around is my personal stories. And then also people who have similar stories, bring them into the fold as well. It's what I love about podcasts, uh, is storytelling and people sharing these experiences where maybe they felt very isolated when it happened to them. And then once they share it, they start to understand that there's so many people that have experienced something similar and then we all kind of feel a little closer and i, I think right that. now that's what we need more than ever um so yeah i'm going to call it hit the ground running with jerry manthe in order to thrive not just survive you have to hit the ground running very and nice that's kind of how i've lived my whole life like i've moved around constantly and no matter where i go as soon as i get there i just i hit the ground running like that's how I adapt. It's kind of the way I played Survivor three times as well. <laughs> I have like a whole list of really hot topics that I want to touch on. And I have already talked to my friends in the Valley about bringing them onto the show to share their experiences. And everybody's so 
ready. What are some of the hot topics that you want to create episodes around? Um, well, you know, I just turned 50. And this is, for me, it was a pretty monumental point in my life. I will say this, it's not what you think it is. It's not this, I don't feel old. I don't, I don't feel like I look old. And I you look, say, yeah. you look the same as you did on the Australian Outback. Get the fuck out of here. You do. You have the same <laughs> face. Well, I would hope so. It's mine. <laughs> <laughs> and let me just say, I'm very into good lighting. <laughs> but thank you. That's very kind. I, I, I have good genes. My parents... They, you know, I'm very blessed in, in my family arena, but um, I just turning 50 has been like a really big deal to me in a very positive way because I don't feel like I thought I was going to feel at this age. And I, a lot of my friends just turned 50 this last year. And so we're all having this conversation about, wow, this, you know, despite it happening in 2020 during a pandemic, which really sucked because I was going to do this epic, crazy party, which I will do eventually. It's been really interesting because I'm still single. I'm dating during a pandemic. That is definitely something to discuss because it has brought on all sorts of new challenges. And I think that a lot of us are trying to figure out how we're going to navigate forward because we don't know exactly when things are going to be normal. I will say I am getting the vaccine next week because oh, great. I would like to eventually make out with someone again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So there is definitely a lot of relationship issues that I want to touch on and maybe some topics uh, concerning sex and um, trauma and things that, you know, people might need to talk about and not feel so alone. Yeah, I just there's just a wealth of things to talk about that I think will bring us all closer together. I love it. I I mean, I'm definitely going to be listening for sure. I mean, when when we connected, like I had no idea that you were developing a podcast. I just want to talk you know, get to know you. And I think it's badass. I think it's awesome. Final question would be, what have you learned about yourself doing, Um, doing reality TV? I mean, honestly, I I think I've just learned that I'm capable of far more than I've given myself credit for. And I've, I'm a very confident person. I believe if you want something, go get it. And that's what I've done my whole life and it worked for me. But I think being on Survivor taught me how to endure some really horrific, uncomfortable situations mm-hmm. and still keep pushing forward. You know, I talk to people all the time. They're like, oh, I could never do Survivor. It's just too hard. And I'm like, you know what? When you get in that situation, you would be surprised what you're capable of and how you find this rhythm almost. Like when you first get there, it's so jarring and the first three days are the worst. They are the absolute worst. In fact, the first six days are the worst. Um, But then you find this pattern. And I think you can apply that to life as well. Like anytime you feel overwhelmed and it just seems like everything's coming, crashing down on you. If you just get through and just keep persevering, you will find some pattern of behavior that helps you cope with whatever it is that's happening. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway from that is just no matter how hard you think something might be, if you just push your way through it, you you can do it. It's kind of like how they say everything is figureoutable. 
which is a I've big, never heard that before. Yeah. Oh, everything is figure outable is like it's a big like entrepreneurial like mindset thing. I like it. I mean, I totally, you know, buy into that whole perspective 100%. <laughs> I love you. You're great. Where can everyone find if people want to message you and and talk to you, say hi, where can everyone find you online? I, I'd have to say Instagram is probably the best place I go on there. Um, it's just at Jerry Manthe. And eventually someday they might actually authenticate me on Instagram. I don't know what the problem is over there. I was like, where's my blue check? I want my blue check. I can explain to you how to get it done. <laughs> I don't have a, I don't, I don't, I don't have one, but I can tell you what to do. Eventually. I don't know. I, I would love to just erase all that crap and just live life in the present moment. I but agree. I agree. We you. need it. Right. And it, in the core of me, I hate social media and I hate cell phones and I hate the internet. I was a person who lived before all that stuff. And I'm so grateful I experienced life without a cell phone. Like we didn't walk around going, remember when we used to walk down the street and like greet each other? And now you're going to somehow, And somehow we all found each other when we made plans. Somehow. We all found each other. And nobody yep. needed to reschedule and cancel at the last minute. Everyone just stuck to the plan. And that's what I appreciate <laughs> about the old days. All right, guys. <laughs> Guys, uh, go follow Jerry. Listen to her podcast when it launches. You guys can follow me, Jess XNYC. Follow the show account, Hot Takes Deep Dives. And Jerry and I will see you soon. Thanks, guys. Yay. Thank you so much.